Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. So we stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the, God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learnt and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father God, we rejoice in hearing the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that it is life to us. Lord, we ask that you would bless now the preaching of God's word, that through it you would continue to sanctify us and um, uh, grow us up and point us increasingly to Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear that your gospel would fall on fertile soil in our hearts and bear much fruit for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated. Uh, last week, Friday, I woke up to discover that an intruder had been snooping around in my yard in the middle of the night while I was fast asleep. Now, thankfully, nothing was damaged or, or taken in, in my property, but one of my neighbors in the same complex, just a couple of houses up from where I live, wasn't so fortunate, and their house was broken into. Thankfully, they weren't there, um, and they got robbed. Now, it's obviously not the most comforting thing to discover this, and, and as you can imagine, for a couple of nights, I was sleeping with one eye open, didn't get too much sleep, and did not have too much uh, peace of mind. Now, as South Africans, uh, not, there are many reasons for us to be anxious, okay, whether it's crime, and I'm sure most of us have been touched by, by crime, um, whether it's the way that our, our country is, is, is governed, um, the economy, um, insecurity about the future. But if we're honest, it's, all these things are, you know, we've got our problems here in South Africa, but they're not uniquely South African problems. They are problems the world over. Um, there's a real fracturing of society, especially in, in Western culture. And so there's, globally, there's a lot of anxiety at the moment. There's a lot of uncertainty about what the future Holds. Now, perhaps in a similar way, the, the Philippian church was 
experiencing anxiety, you see, for, for some different reasons. When Paul wrote this letter to them, we saw this last week very vividly, there, there was a disunity in the church. You know, those two ladies that have got their names recorded for all eternity in the pages of Scripture, Euodia and Syntyche, were famously having a dispute. And that must have caused some anxiety in the church, that there's a feeling of disunity in, in, in the body. There were quarrels in the body. Another anxiety that they certainly faced, and it's an issue that, that Paul has been writing about, and especially in chapter 3, is the destructive false teachers that were beginning to have an impact in the church, whether it's the, the legalists, the Judaizers, or the antinomians, the prosperity gospel folks. And false teaching and brings confusion and, and as, well, as well breeds anxiety. And then on top of this, their founder or their pastor, Paul, who had discipled them and planted the church and grown them up in their faith, was locked away in a prison hundreds of miles away in, in Rome. And so they were feeling his, his lack of, of, of leadership. And so we can see that this, this young church plant was facing some significant threats. And they were understand, understandably anxious. So this morning, in, in this morning's text, Paul speaks directly into their anxiety. Okay, so what we're going to see from the text is that because God grants us his peace in Christ, there's no need to be anxious. And instead, in Christ, we can truly rejoice. So let's get into this. There are three points. Firstly, rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, rest in God's peace. And lastly, trust in the gospel. So firstly, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4, very well-known piece of scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I'm sure you agree that it's pretty easy to rejoice when life is good. But what about when life is a mess? What about when tragedy strikes, when there is really nothing in our circumstances that is worth rejoicing about? Is this verse saying then that we must just fake it till we make it? We must fake it until we, we feel happy inside, even when deep down we know it's, it's, it's impossible to do so. We're in such a deep pit that... Humanly speaking, the last thing we can do is, is rejoice. Well, no, this is not what the text is saying. Okay? Because true Christian joy does not fluctuate. It doesn't come and go, and it is not rooted in circumstances. Well, what, what is it rooted in? Well, our text tells us plainly here, verse 4, it says it's rooted in the Lord. And it is therefore impossible to find this joy, as the text says, always. Now that's a remarkable claim. So let's unpack this and see why this is true. Well, if our joy is in the Lord, as the text says, then that it means that it's rooted in Him 
Whereas Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's rooted in him, as Psalm 118 verse 1 says, whose steadfast love endures forever. It's rooted in him, who Psalm 18 verse 2 says, who is our rock, our refuge, our shield, and our salvation. It is rooted, as 2 Timothy 2.13, it's rooted in the one who is faithful even when we are faithless. And as Deuteronomy 31.6, who says whose promises, promises, he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So because our joy is rooted in our God who is abundantly faithful, Hey, it's rooted in his unchanging nature. This means then, well, that we can always rejoice in him. Because our joy is rooted in his unchanging character and nature. He's not, he doesn't fluctuate. You see, our problem tends to be that we seek our joy in undependable things, in things that change. Whether it's in people whether it's an abundance of possessions, whether it's in um, going on holiday and having leisure time or our career or our bank balance or our desire for comfort and security. The, the reality is that none of those things are ever guaranteed in our lives. And they all are subject to change. So if our hearts find security and joy in, in these changeable things, in these things that are not promised to be permanent in our lives, well, as soon as they are not there, our world then falls apart. Now contrast this with Paul. I know we, we did look at this a, a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of, of Philippians. Now if you've been paying attention to to this book, you're familiar with it, you know that joy is a theme in Philippians. Yeah, the theme of joy, it permeates through, throughout this letter. Now, let me remind you of Paul's personal circumstances while he's writing this letter. Where was he? He was imprisoned. He had lost all his basic freedoms. And he's also waiting to hear whether or not he's going to be executed. I imagine living with that extreme uncertainty and awful conditions, circumstances are far from ideal. But how is Paul doing in his heart? Well, I think it's pretty evident to see in this letter that, well, he's doing pretty well. He's full of joy. And the reason he's full of joy is because his joy is not found in his circumstances. Well, he's got nothing to be joyful about regarding his circumstances. But he's got everything to be joyful about because his joy is rooted in the Lord who does not change. And you see, the prophet Habakkuk understood this truth very clearly. He's writing in you know, 500 BC um, as... Calamity is about to uh, fall upon the nation of, of Judah as everything he ever knew is going to be destroyed 
was plundered and destroyed by the Babylonians. And he writes this in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now verse 5 continues and it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. How do you respond in the midst of calamity when things don't go the way you expect it and when circumstances seem so out of your control, when you experience the bitter providence of the Lord? I think the great temptation for many of us is that we think, I don't deserve this. I've done my bits. I've been praying every morning, Lord. I've been living a decent life. You know, I've been faithful and now, Lord, you have let me down. And there's a temptation for us to become embittered and, and angry and feel a sense of, of uh, entitlement. Yeah. But in verse 5 it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The better way to translate the Greek there is, let your gentleness or let your kindness be known to everyone. Now, I'm sure we'll freely admit that in the heat of severe trials, that is not easy. And it's probably the opposite of most of our instincts. We want to throw our toys out the cot and we want to demand our rights and, and all of that. But it's this attitude of gentleness and graciousness is what the word of God calls us to have. Why? Well, despite our sense of entitlement, the truth is that we deserve, we don't deserve anything from God except one thing, which is his wrath. And it's only for the sake of Christ that God chose to have mercy on us and forgive us our sins and grant us grace that not one of us deserves. Now, if this is the truth, which certainly is if we're in Christ, surely this means that our only response to the most challenging of circumstances cannot be one of entitlement and embitteredness. But instead, since we are the recipients of this undeserved grace, we should let our gentleness and kindness and graciousness be known to all. Now, verse 5 ends with this phrase, the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is, is near. And it's a reminder to us Okay, hold on to this truth. It's a promise from God here that indeed we are never alone in times of crisis. 
His promise to us here is that he is near to us now by his spirit to comfort us and help us. And he's also at hand in the sense that he, he's promising that he's going to return in glory. And on that day, all suffering will be brought to an end and all wrongs will be made right and we will know him in his perfect peace. And because of these promises, we can certainly rejoice now. Let's bring us to the second point. Rest in God's peace. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, when we're really anxious about something, we typically, I'm speaking for myself here, I'm sure it's a, it's a shared experience, we typically fall into an unhealthy downward spiral it seems like we're going falling into a bottomless pit. Okay, the burden feels like a weight upon us, and we get the more we think about and dwell on these things, you know, we be more stressed, more hopeless, and we lose perspective. And I, for myself, I often end up battling to sleep. And we, we grab hold on the issue and we don't let it go and we let it consume our thoughts. But this is so incredibly destructive and unhelpful. And you know what? God's word speaks directly into situations like that. And here's an example in this verse. God's word says to us that we shouldn't be anxious about anything. And it's, it's easy to say that when you're not in that, that pit. But we see here some very clear instruction on how to, to, to deal with situations when we are there. So how are we to deal with anxiety right in the heat of it? Well, verse 6 tells us. Pray. As we lift up our eyes to praise him in worship, in our prayers, to focus upon him and, and his glory and his majesty, what that does, it, it lifts our eyes off ourselves. And that's the best thing we could possibly do, frankly, because the, the more we dwell on me and my poor me and all this, it, it's destructive. Prayer, worship, especially in prayer, lifts up our eyes to the glory of the Lord. And in that, you know, things already get put in perspective. Okay, then the next thing the verse 6 talks about is thanksgiving. Okay, thanksgiving is such an incredibly important part of our prayer life. Because giving thanks to the Lord, it helps us out of our pit as well. Okay, we... we we see, we're thanking God, but in the process, we're reminding ourselves of just how much God has given us. And we do need to remind ourselves of this because we can take a lot for granted. We've got, basically, everything we have is from God. We need to understand that he's sovereign. Everything we have is from his hand of providence, whether it's loving families, our daily bread, 
uh, the roof over our heads, the beauty of creation around us, um, this wonderful peaceful rain that we woke up this morning, um, and most importantly, his gospel, God's amazing grace to us in Christ, that we are no longer in our sins. That's amazing. <laughs> we are no longer subject to the wrath of God. That is worth celebrating every morning. We are, there's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, this is amazing. It's incredible. His steadfast love, which never fails. And therefore, to, to give thanks to God for these things, well, it makes it a whole lot harder for us to be overwhelmed by anxiety and overwhelmed in our you know, depth of our despair. Then instead of holding on to our burdens, verse 6 also says that we should let our requests be known to God. The reality is that prayerlessness is so often the reason why we find ourselves consumed with anxiety in the first place. That's why, Christian, it is important that you pray and you pray regularly. The reformer Martin Luther said that uh, a, a Christian without prayer is like somebody, a, a person that doesn't breathe. And prayer is the lifeblood of our, of our faith with the Lord. We need to pray. Set aside regular times of prayer. Get into a, a routine. Um, uh, don't, don't fall into prayerlessness. Hey, through Laying our burdens before God, which he invites us to do here in verse 6. Okay, this is a part of one of our incredible privileges as a Christian. Is that we have access to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. No one else in the world has that except those of us who are in Christ. Because our high priest... Because of his work on the cross and his, and he's interceding for us all the time, we can bring our prayers and requests to the ear of God anywhere, anytime. So this means that we can ask God to intervene in every situation that we find ourselves in, to provide for us, to comfort us, to grant us wisdom and, and, and peace. And the best thing is that we have the assurance from him is that he really does hear our prayers. That is guaranteed. Yeah, he may not answer them in the way we expect, but we are assured that he hears our prayers if we pray them through Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's the living God after all. Yeah, and this is why James 5 verse 1 says, Is Anyone among you suffering? What's the answer? Let him pray. <laughs> Verse 7 continues. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, we have a wonderful promise from God here. That even in the midst of the deepest crisis, in the greatest stress, 
He grants us his peace, his shalom. And this peace from God is able to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. And this perhaps describes what many of us here may have experienced. In the midst of a massive tragedy, whether it's the the death of a loved one uh, or the news of, of terminal illness, something to that effect, if you've been in those places and if you are in Christ, it's just something that the world doesn't fall from beneath your feet. We experience God holding us in that time. I don't know how else to describe, explain it, but this is what this verse is describing here. Yeah, he holds us and he guards us in his peace which passes all understanding. Yeah, bring us to a final point, trust in the gospel from verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So resting in God's peace and having laid down our burdens in prayer before the Lord, verse 8 now instructs us how to keep watch over our thoughts. And the thing is, it's especially during tough times that it's easy to get caught in destructive and sinful thought patterns. Yeah, where it's being overtaken by thoughts of despair and hopelessness. Okay, that's, it's just not helpful. Yeah, or another tendency to do in those dark times is to seek some form of escapism through lustful and sexually immoral thoughts. Yeah, but instead, we are to heed God's word here and we are to think about these things. Okay, what are these things? Well, is whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Now, there are many things that you can think about that tick those boxes, but ultimately, Who embodies all of those things? Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the truth. Only he is the perfectly just and holy one. Only he is the God who is love. The only perfectly pure and righteous one. The only one who is worthy of praise. And so we call to set our thoughts on him and his goodness and his character and glory and wonder about him in his, in his word, how he has revealed himself to us. Lift up your eyes to him. Worship him who is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, as Psalm 38, 18 says. Now in verse 9 brings the section of scripture to an end and it says what you have learnt and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you so what is it 
exactly that the Philippian church has learned, received, and heard and seen from Paul. It's the gospel. Because Paul is the one who's over the years has taught and preached to them the gospel. This gospel, as he defines it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised up on the third day and then appeared to many. And it's this message of good news that in Christ we are no longer in our sins. We are no longer deserving of the wrath of God. We are no longer destined to a life of hopelessness. But we are now forgiven. We are now loved and known by God. We are chosen in Christ. We are adopted as his children. The promise of eternal life that nothing and no one can snatch away from us and that we cannot lose. And it's this gospel that was learned, that was received and heard from Paul and was seen by the Philippians through his godly life lived as a, in response to the gospel that Paul instructs them here to practice. Well, how are they to practice this? Well, firstly, we need to be clear is that it is impossible for one to practice the gospel. Okay, one can't do the gospel. You can't even live the gospel. Why? Well, the gospel has already been done for you. Okay, it is the news of the finished work of Jesus. So faced with anxiety and stress and increasing expectations to do more and, and be better and strive more, in contrast to all that, the gospel is like crisp, fresh water out a spring in a dry and parched land. Because it's only the gospel that brings rest to the weary and the burdened soul. As Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, brothers and sisters, it's trusting in this gospel that is the true antidote to anxiety and we practice it by continuing to learn it to receive it to hear it preached week in and week out and God's promise to us is that through that he will change us by his spirit that he will grant us the rest that we so desperately need. And he will grant us the peace that we so desperately crave. And just as God transformed Paul's life through this message, so he will transform ours in order that we may live for his glory. So bring us all to, to end. The reality 
is that outside of Jesus Christ, there is no true peace. Now, or certainly for eternity. Now, outside of Christ, you are left on your own to carry your burdens and anxieties. And in eternity, you will be left alone to face the justice of God for your sins, which will mean you will need to face his wrath that your sins deserve. His true peace is only found in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And how is this so? Well, Romans 5 verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's precisely because Jesus has paid the debt for our sins, because he took upon himself our sins that separated us from God, and that he faced God's wrath in our place by his his death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, you're forgiven and you're You're forgiven of your debt. And what that means is that in Christ, there's now peace between you and God. Peace now and peace for all eternity. And because of this, it means that we can truly rejoice in our our hope that Christ is ours forever. So brothers and sisters, trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in the unchanging and ever faithful Prince of Peace. Trust in the one who has reconciled sinners to God in peace through the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in him who is with you in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, who gives you rest and relief from your burdens, who strengthens you with his joy every morning, and who promises you his peace that surpasses all understanding now and for all eternity in his presence. Amen.